So, uh, lots of you will be perhaps aware of how to get elected and uh, the secret to becoming a very popular president or prime minister. And this particular rule book, this particular way of getting elected is prevalent in our culture, in our world today, and has been right back since the beginning of time. You go back right back to this morning at half past eight in our call to prayer when we were online and uh, praying together. Sarah and I were looking uh, with others at Exodus chapter one. And it talks about how the Egyptian pharaoh was frightened of the Hebrews because there were more of them. So this is how you get elected. This is your ticket to being uh, a powerful ruler. Firstly, you identify and voice all the problems that people feel. So you learn to speak their language and you, you can voice their grumbles and you voice their grumbles in such a way that they go, yes, that's how I feel. Yes, this person understands me. Yes, the world is a terrible place. Yes, my life is difficult and this guy understands it. And once you've identified all the problems and you've been able to voice them, the next thing that you do is you choose one people group to blame. And you pin everything on that people group. The Pharaoh did it to the Jews. And throughout history, different leaders have gone, the way to keep my power is get everybody angry with the Jews. Or everybody angry with the Catholics. As we wander around the world in my lifetime, everybody angry with Muslims. Everybody angry with blacks. Everybody angry with immigrants. Everybody angry with socialists or communists or people who believe in tax or capitalists or bankers or the English. My Scottish heritage, I go to Scotland with an English accent and there are places where it's scary because everything's the fault of the English. It's very easy to choose a group of people. They are to blame. The European Union, everything's their fault. The Ukrainians, everything is their fault. And we have seen leaders establish power by choosing one enemy to pin everything on. And then they fuel suspicion and hatred. And I wonder how often you find yourselves being manipulated by the news. Because there are different newspapers that fuel this stuff. Do we know which newspapers, which websites, which TV channels fuel division, fuel blame, fuel hatred? And to what extent do we get caught up in it? Yes, if only we could free ourselves of whichever group of people we think it is. And then we claim to be the only one who can get rid of the enemy. 
And we see this playing out in history now. Let's blame Ukraine, says Putin. Let's take the focus off our difficulties here in Russia. Let's blame Ukraine. Let's go and invade them and sort them out. And today is Remembrance Sunday. And it's a day when we remember those who served, but we want to not make the mistakes again. The shortest answer to an impossible question is a scapegoat. So we're going to look at John 15, the last 16, the last verse in John 16, that we may have peace. We talked a few weeks ago, we talked about remaining, staying in the place of God's love right at the end of camp. We've talked about the world hating the disciples. We've talked about not quitting and keeping going. We talked last week about being filled with his spirit. And it's into that context that Jesus says this, I've told you these things so that you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. We want to ask three questions, four questions this afternoon, this evening even. What is the peace we have in Jesus? How has Jesus overcome the world, and what difference does it make to us? And what does this say to us on Remembrance Sunday? So let's have a cartoon uh, to get us going. Uh, Vox Pops, guy in the street with a microphone, goes to people... And uh, uh, he's asking the question, uh, how would you describe peace? And the first person says, no war, I suppose. Tranquility. And madam, what does peace mean to you? And she says, love, happiness, helping one another for a change. Sir, describe peace for me. And he thinks about it. And he says, small green vegetables. I think there's a load of our neighbours who don't get what peace is, don't understand what it is. Somebody, uh, Leonard Sweet says this, peace is the cessation of all warfare, the halting of interpersonal conflicts, a feeling of inner well-being, an end to psychological tensions and the settling of silence on the soul. But what is the peace that we have in Jesus? How might we be at peace? How do we find peace? Well, there's a key thing to establish before we get there, that he says, in this world you will have trouble. So peace is not the absence of trouble. Peace isn't an easy life. The peace that Jesus wants to bring is a peace that can deal with the trouble we're experiencing in this world. He says to the disciples, look, I am going to give you my peace. You're going to have peace, but you're also going to have trouble. And we go, well, I don't understand that. How can I have peace? and stress, and hassle, and problems, and difficulties. What do we mean by trouble? What do we see in the Bible that troubles us? Well, we see opposition. John has already talked about that. He said, well, people will hate you. And that's trouble if you're hated. So the peace that Jesus wants to bring is a peace that can deal with being hated. And Some of us experience that. We experience that in family relationships. We experience that in friendships that go wrong. We experience that in the place of work. We experience ridicule and bullying. We experience people uh, online laying into us. There won't be anybody here who hasn't been hurt by the words of others, typed, sent, 
gossip behind our back or said in person. So how does Jesus bring peace into that context? The peace that we uh, receive in Jesus also has to be the peace that deals with the wilderness experience, the place of wandering when God seems distant, the place when God steps back and says, follow me closer. The experience of wandering that Jesus went through before he went into ministry in the wilderness, the place of dryness, the place of barrenness, the place where our prayers don't seem to be being answered, the place where things are withering and we are withering. How do we have peace in that experience? The peace that Jesus needs to bring is a peace that is with us in the times of temptation when we really, really want to do that which we know is damaging for us. The peace that Jesus needs to bring has to be a peace within failure, within sinfulness, within brokenness, within getting it wrong, within messing up. How do we find peace when we're covered with shame and guilt and regret and remorse? And the peace that Jesus needs to bring is a peace that deals with decay. Looking out at us, we're roughly, I would guess, my estimation would be roughly about a quarter of us are under 25. The good news for those of you under 25 is your body is still getting better. The rest of us, we peaked at 25. Ever since then, things are decaying. Things are dropping off. Things are not working as well as they used to. Things are wrinkling, withering, expanding, and uh, decreasing and our bodies are not as good as they want, we want them to be. How does the peace of God deal with a creation that is groaning in expectation and waiting for deliverance? What is this peace that Jesus brings? How can it deal with that trouble? He says, look, you're gonna have trouble. The peace I'm giving you is not some delusional uh, expectation that everything's gonna be brilliant and nothing will ever go wrong. The, the peace that Jesus brings has to be able to deal with this stuff. So what is it? Six things I want to suggest to you. The first is the peace of a supernatural calm of just the presence of God there. Do you ever have an experience where you feel, oh, because X or Y is here, I feel better. You're looking around, it's a party or an event or a service and you're a bit apprehensive, but, and then you see someone you trust, someone you know, and you think they're there, and it's gonna make things better. Uh, that's a great feeling. It's not such a great feeling if, you're the, if you sometimes think people are putting that on you, because sometimes I think, well, people think, oh, it'll be okay, because Donald's here, and that just makes me feel incredibly scared. But this cartoon, which I've shown a number of times, because I love Charlie Brown, as you know, and I love this particular cartoon because it I remember this experience so well. Uh, lately, she says to Charlie Brown, everything seems to bother me. How do you mean? He says, what do you think? She says, what do you think security is, Chuck? Security, says Charlie Brown. Security is sleeping in the back seat of the car. And we used to go on long, long car journeys to Scotland to see my family. And I remember this experience. We didn't have seatbelts, but I sat in the back of the car and I'd go to sleep. He says, security is sleeping in the back seat of the car. And when you put a little kid, when you're a little kid and you've been somewhere with your mum and your dad and it's night and you're riding home in the car and you can sleep in the back seat. Now, I appreciate not everybody will have had this experience. Some of us will have had very painful 
childhood experiences. But I want you to just try and get inside what this is like for some people. Just this presence that other people who make things safe are there. He says, you don't have to worry about anything. Your mum and dad are in the front seat and they do all the worrying. They take care of everything. It is a great feeling as a parent when you think, I can, this child of mine doesn't need to worry because I can take care of everything. Then they go to school age four and you lose that and it never happens again because you can't solve anything. But just for a little moment when they're three and a half, you think you can protect them. And Charlie Brown says, that, uh, she says, that's real neat. He says, but it doesn't last. Suddenly you're grown up and it can never be that way again. Suddenly it's over and you'll never get to sleep in the back seat. Never again. Never, never, absolutely never. Hold my hand, Chuck, she says. There is a peace that Jesus brings, which is like sleeping in the back seat of a car as a child and your parents have got it all sorted. And it's okay, because he's going to deal with everything. And we don't find that without Jesus. There is a supernatural, inexplicable peace. There's a wonderful phrase in Philippians, a peace that is beyond all understanding. It doesn't make logical sense. A peace, not the removal of the problem, but a sense that Jesus is in the room or he's in the front seat. It's going to be okay. It's going to be difficult, but it's going to be okay because Jesus is here. And the second thing is a forgiveness that brings a supernatural cleansing from shame. Because there are all kinds of things that rob us of peace. And it's one of the things that robs us of peace is the guilt that we feel. And the sense of unworthiness. And it's heightened by the blame of others, but we can feel it alone in ourselves without others. Because we know what we've done wrong. We know the things that we, that we do that are so far from being like Jesus that we want to be. Another cartoon for you. Charlie Brown says to Lucy, I've tried to be a better person. I've tried and tried and tried. I've really, really tried. You know how hard I've tried. Tell me how hard I've tried. Nice try. Five cents, please. <laughs> how do we deal with a sense of unworthiness? We're not good enough. We want to be loved. We want to be popular. We want to be good. It's another cartoon, the same story. Charlie Brown says, I think my trouble is that I feel guilty all the time. And some of us understand that experience. So Lucy shouts at him, not guilty. How do you feel now? It doesn't work. Other people can tell us till we're, they're blue in the face that we're not guilty but actually we need the God of the universe who's died on a cross for us to tell us that we're not guilty. And that he's come knowing our sin, but he's come to wash, to cleanse, to renew, to set free, to release us. And the third area of peace that Jesus wants to bring is to transform judgment to compassion. And this works two ways. First way is that he wants to help us be free of the anxiety of judging others, of having uh, things that we feel about other people that clouds us. 
and preoccupies us and fills us with anger and resentment. Why do they do that? I think, and, and not trusting somebody. What are they thinking? What are their motives? What are they doing? And the peace of Jesus comes and says, don't bother thinking about others. Stop judging. Be free. Be free of having to have an opinion. Be free of having to work out whether they're nice to you or not, whether they're being good or bad. Be free of judgment. And it works both ways because the peace of Jesus is also saying, and the judgment of others doesn't matter, only the judgment of Jesus. And maybe we've been boxed and labeled and condemned and criticized and people have made assumptions about us and put two and two together and made 73. And Jesus transforms judgment with his grace. And he pours out his grace on us and says, stop judging. He pours out his grace on us and says, be free of the judgment of others. And the fourth way in which he brings peace is he commands us to live a certain way which helps us to be at peace with our neighbor. He commands us to love. It's not an invitation. It's not a suggestion. It's not a why don't if you have time love. It's a command. Love your neighbor and forgive your enemy. And when we seek to obey Jesus and do as he asks, we find that our relationships are vastly improved. It's not a, a feeling of love. It's a choice. It's a decision. It's an action. We choose to do what is best, particularly for the people we don't like and the people who hurt us and the people we're fearful of. We choose to bless and pray for our enemies. And then the power and grace of Jesus to enable us in a supernatural way to love and to let go of hate. And that's the peace that he brings. This peace, the, the Old Testament word is shalom, wholeness. is a massive word. It's all of these things. It's about peace with ourselves. It's peace with our, our neighbors. It's peace with God. And he gives us, when we invite him into our lives, the ability to let go of all the resentment. And he washes and cleanses and frees us. And lastly, the peace that Jesus brings is a resurrection hope that this world will not be all there is and that we'll rise on the last day and that we will know a new body and a new life that doesn't decay where there's no more sorrow or tears, that when we are in Jesus and invited him into our lives and received his forgiveness, we can be free from baldness and cancer and failing memories and have a new life and reunited with those who've loved, we've loved to have gone before us and all the death and all the suffering is over. So the peace that Jesus brings is this big, big picture. And we might say, well, yeah, but how has he overcome the world? Well, firstly, he's overcome the world because we're still talking about him, because we still know him, because 2,000 years later, Jesus is still fought at the front of our lives. And that marks that what he was talking about was reality and truth. But not only that, but Jesus overcomes the world because his death has overcome our suffering. And death is no longer the end because Jesus has risen from the dead and there is a resurrection hope. And his grace overcomes guilt and all the shame and all the reproach and all the self-loathing and all the self-harming his grace wants to set us free and bring peace. And his mercy overcomes judgment. 
And the world is full of pouring out judgment, pouring out guilt, pouring out suffering, and he has overcome it because it will end and he will bring his kingdom. And he has overcome the world because love always triumphs over hatred. You know those leaders who peddle hatred, who get us to sign up to hate the enemy? They all lose in the end. They all get booted out and overturned because love will prevail and will always triumph. And so humility overcomes power. The last will be first. The meek will inherit the the earth. The broken, the excluded, the discriminated against, the judged, the bullied, will all be restored because Jesus has overcome the world. So what difference does Jesus overcoming the world make to us? Well, we choose hope, not fear or despair. Every generation believes the news is as bad as it's ever been. Certainly, the last three or four years are as bad as it's been for many years. I've said to lots of you before, I'm fascinated by the past and my mum's story. I'm fascinated by that week in 1962 when I was uh, in my mother's womb, but not yet born. And two and ships were sailing towards Cuba with missiles. And Russia and America were, it seemed, about to press buttons that would obliterate the world. And talking to my mum, what was that like? Carrying me, an unborn child, into a world that may not last till beyond Friday. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, says Jesus, do not be afraid. We choose hope and not despair. We choose not to blame. We choose not fear. We choose the peace that Jesus wants to bring. While you're proclaiming peace with your lips, be careful to have it even more fully in your heart, Francis of Assisi. And therefore we choose the methods of Jesus. We choose humility and the value of the other rather than putting ourselves at the center. We choose to value the weak and the excluded and the different. We even choose to value the people who have made mistakes and to do foolish things. We choose humility. We choose the way of Jesus and we choose grace. And we love and value mercy, and we pour it out around us. We soak ourselves in the grace and mercy of Jesus, and we live it out to others. And we choose the method of Jesus, and we choose to love, and we choose compassion. We choose not to judge, not to condemn, not to exclude, not to blame, not to throw out, but to welcome and to love. We choose the methods of Jesus. So lastly, what does this say to us? 
on Remembrance Sunday. Firstly, peace is not delivered through blame. We remember so that we don't make the same mistakes. But every generation thinks if we can just blame this group, we will be at peace. Peace is not delivered through hatred and violence. What we need is the peace found in Jesus, the peace of his presence, that back seat of the car experience. And so in a moment or two, as Sam comes to lead us, want to invite us to invite God's presence again. Now, some of us find that easy to experience and feel than others. Some of us find it very easy to tangibly feel God's peace. Others, because of our experiences, perhaps of mistrust or betrayal or condemnation, we find it less easy to sense God's spirit and to sense peace. And sometimes we have to deal with the clutter and fear in our minds. And we need to choose hope. Whether we find it difficult or easy, I want to invite you daily. Say, Lord, come by your spirit and bring your presence. The reality of your spirit at work within me. Bring your peace. We need the peace found in Jesus of his presence, his forgiveness. There is nothing we have done that he will not forgive. There is nothing that if we don't come to him and say, Lord, I'm sorry, There is nothing that he will say, get away. We need the peace of his grace. Let it flow through us. Let it come in and not stagnate, but flow out. Let us be people of grace. We need the peace of following his commands. Let's not be half-hearted in following Jesus. Let's not be half in. Go to church, sing the songs, but not do it. As there's no peace in that. In fact, it's the worst of both worlds. We just feel rubbish. The peace comes from being wholehearted and saying, not my will but yours, Jesus. Here I am. I will be your ambassador, your bringer in of the kingdom. I will be a person of love. The kingdom of darkness is all around us. And Jesus says, the good news is that the kingdom of God is near. And then he says to the disciples, come with me and join in bringing in the kingdom. We do that by obeying his command to love. And we receive his empowering, the filling of his spirit, and his resurrection hope that whatever pain, whatever obstacles, whatever difficulty, whatever wilderness, whatever rubbish is going on today, it will be replaced and finished with. And we will rise to a better life where this life will have seemed a a flash in the pan, a minute out of eternity, a moment we remember, but we're no longer scarred by. Final description of peace. Peace is loving relationships, a quiet conscience, and a restful mind. I particularly like these last two things. A surrendered will, a hopeful heart. If we are to have the peace that Jesus wants to bring in the midst of the trouble we can't avoid, we need a surrendered will. Here I am, Lord, and a heart that chooses hope.
a couple of questions for us to reflect on. How do we help bring in the kingdom of God's peace around us? What is it that God is asking us to do? Is it about repentance and getting rid of the stuff that's unclean within us? Is it about living out grace? Is it about following the command to love? Is it about asking God for the power to forgive? Is it about simply saying, come by your spirit, come Holy Spirit and fill me? And who do we no longer need to blame? Where must we reject the voices of those newspapers, those websites, those podcasts, those news channels, and be people of grace, people who bring reconciliation, people who draw in difference, people who welcome rather than exclude. Let's stand together. Let's pray. Lord, we seek your presence bringing peace. Will you fill us now again with your Holy Spirit? Will you come, Jesus? Bring your cleansing. Come, Jesus. Bring your empowering. Come, Jesus. Bring your presence, your peace. Bring your hope. Help us to let go of the anger, the resentment, the blame, and the pain. And let us love our neighbor. Bring your peace now, we pray. Help us to build our lives on you. For your firm foundation. Help us to put our trust in you alone. Amen.